going through, uh, we're, we're more than halfway done. We're in chapter 10. As we think about this afternoon, the need to be dependent upon the Lord. When you think about it, following God, the Bible teaches us when it comes to God and the world, uh, the opposite, so much the opposite of what the world teaches us to believe about life and about ourselves. For example, uh, the world tells us that in order to truly find yourself, to know yourself, you have to, uh, you have to, you have to um, make life all about discovering who you are. Look inward and, and figure out who you are. To find yourself, you have to know yourself. But the Bible, Jesus tells us the opposite. He says, if you really want life, if you really want to know yourself, you're to lay down your life. To lay down your life. The one who holds on to their life will lose it. Or the one who gives it up gains it. The world tells us that if you want to be great, if you want to be well-known, if you want to make a mark in this world, be powerful, be wealthy. Right? The more people who serve you is an indication of how powerful you are. But yet Jesus tells us the opposite. He says, the greatest of you will be the least and will be the servant of all. And again, the world and God's perspective is so often uh, the opposite. When it comes to dependency, right, we're told that, and, and we're told right to, to grow up, and, and the goal is to be independent. Right? You don't want to depend on anybody just in case something happens. You don't want to be brought down because you're dependent upon somebody else. Strive to be independent in all aspects of life. Right? That's what part of the world will tell us. And independence is good, right? in its right place. It's good to, to no longer need uh, a parent to take us to the bathroom. It's good to be independent in being able to, to do things on our own, and that's, that, that's good. That's a sign of growth. That's a sign of maturity. But the independence that the world will tell us that, that's harmful is an independence that's ultimately apart from God. To not let anyone or any, anything tell us what to do. That was the issue with our first ancestors, Adam and Eve. They wanted to be independent from God. Right? The issue wasn't that they wanted a piece of fruit. Remember when they ate that fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? The issue wasn't that, that it was a fruit they just shouldn't eat. They wanted to have the authority over good and evil by taking that fruit. Author Graham Goldsworthy talks about this, that, that their eating of the fruit was... To, in a sense, to have authority over defining what is good and evil. Taking the role of God. That type of independence is detrimental to us as humans and ultimately destructive. To be independent from our Creator. And the interesting thing is, right, we'll push independence. We'll push it, we'll push it. Right? When we become adults, we're like, yeah, I'm independent, right? I don't depend on anyone for, for, for money. Uh, I own my own this, I own my own that, I can go wherever I want. But isn't it interesting, right, with, with, with our lives, that as we get older, should the Lord allow us to live into, our, into the golden years of our lives, that, that we slowly become more dependent, dependent on walkers and canes to walk, dependent on institutions to take care of us, hospitals, right, to sustain us, other family members to to provide care for us. Isn't that interesting? Where we don't, if we continue growing and living, we don't end in ultimate independence, do we? Right? Many people end in, in total dependence 
on other people. And I, I think that shows us that truly we were created not to be fully independent, but we are to be always dependent upon the Lord. And so the people in Hosea's time didn't want that dependency. They, they wanted dependency upon other things, and even including other gods, other idols. And they were experiencing just the destructiveness, the unhealth uh, that came with not depending on the Lord. So as we go through chapter 10, we're going to be looking at the effects and the things that challenge our dependency upon God, reasons why we could leave our dependency upon God and depend on other things other than Him. And then finally, we'll, we'll, we'll be encouraged on how we can grow in a dependency upon the Lord. So in Hosea, we've been, we've been reading about this, this powerful, powerful prophet who uh, was called by God right, to, to marry an unfaithful uh, wife. Right? And that is to represent to God's people that they, like this wife, like Gomer, is being unfaithful to God. And uh, now, now uh, these, these few, next few chapters is all about the, the results of, of doing that, all about the just judgments that come because of that, but also the promises that come should they turn from their, their unfaithfulness uh, to, and turn to the living God. So let's, let's jump right into it in, in chapter 10. These, these uh, judgments continue in chapter 10. It reads, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. Not good altars. These are altars that worship other gods. As his country improved, his, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. When God brought Israel into the land that he promised them, he gave them an abundance of resources. He blessed them, especially during the time of David and Solomon, right, the height of the kingdom of Israel. They were blessed materially, financially, in so many different ways. God has given them the ability to, to uh, overcome their enemies. They were living at times in, in, of peace, but that was changing. And what... what here we see in these first two chapters is as God blessed them, as they experienced fruitfulness, instead of their hearts coming closer to the Lord, they rebelled more against Him and built these other places of worship to other gods. One thing that challenges our dependency upon God is fruitfulness. It's fruitfulness. When we're experiencing success in areas in our lives, whether that's, that's being fruitful financially, or being fruitful uh, and effective maybe in the workplace, right? We're gaining a reputation for ourselves. Being fruitful in certain adventures, certain things that we're, we're, we're putting our efforts to, hobbies, certain skill sets, certain relationships. When these things start to, to be, be, be looking really good, really comfortable, flourishing, it is easy to forget the Lord. It's easy to forget that the Lord is the one who gave us the ability to be fruitful. I know for me, uh, the times that I'm least desperate and dependent upon God is when things are going smooth and easy. It's so hard to be dependent or to keep being intense in prayer to God because things are going great. Things look fruitful. But I know in my life, it's when things are going terrible, when times are desperate. Man, isn't that the times when we're more often on our knees? Isn't that the time we're, we're more often 
asking other people to pray for us because we're desperate and dependent. Offensive times of fruitfulness that, that will challenge our dependency. And fruitfulness is not a bad thing, right? Being successful is not a bad thing. It's a gift from God. But, it, but it's now growing to be dependent upon him when things are going the way we want them to be going. And for Israel, it was the opposite. But it wasn't just fruitfulness. It was also their greed. It was their greed that was challenging this dependency. Let's read on. Verse 3 and 4. For now they will say, Israel, we will have no king, for we do not fear the Lord. And a king, what could he do for us? Right. Pretty soon Assyria will come and take out their king, the kingdom of the northern kingdom, and they will be without a king. They will be without a land. And it reads this, it says, They utter mere words with empty oaths. They make covenants. The word covenant is kind of like business deals, not necessarily with the Lord, but with other people. When they, when they, when they do businesses, right, they make these false covenants. They make these empty promises. So judgment, and the Hebrew word is, is lawsuits. Lawsuits springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. Here's what seems to be going on here is the people are engaging in business. They're engaging in, in deals. Uh, and yet they're, they're trying to rip each other off. They're dealing deceitfully. And the result is lawsuits popping up. Because right? that's what happens when there's, there's, uh, there's trickery and there's, there's uh, shady business deals. And, and it's out of that greed of wanting more, of, of wanting... Wanting uh, more finances, more money, more wealth, that it's tempting to not trust and depend on the Lord, but instead to try to finagle other people, to try to get money any way that we can, to try to cheat the government into getting more money, even if it's illegal, or being involved in, in shady business deals that would benefit us financially, but we know is going to harm somebody else. Here, Israel was, was, was intent right, to just gain more and more. They weren't content with what God gave them. The proverb writer says this about contentment. In Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9, he has this prayer. He says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Right? I just want to be content. I just want what God wants for me. Nothing more, nothing less. Lest I be full and deny you. Right? If I have all these riches, I'm going to deny God. I'm going to forget him and say, who's the Lord? Or, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. To be in this world poor is not a bad thing. To be wealthy is not an evil thing. It's when we do not depend upon the Lord. It's when, we do, it's when we do not attribute success to the Lord. It's when we're in poverty, when we do not trust the Lord, but, but try to, in greed, try to get more in, uh, in a way that harms our neighbor. Probably is talking about being content in the Lord, not trying to strive for these other things. And yet, this is what Israel seemed to be after. And, and so Israel's going to experience the judgment that comes from their life apart from God, but also their life in rebellion against God. Verse 5 describes this judgment. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Beth-Avon. Its people mourn for it 
and so do its idolatrous priests, those who rejoice over it and over its glory, for it has departed from them. The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as tribute to the great king. Ephraim shall be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. The high places of Aven, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars. And they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. Here is the judgment that they're going to be experiencing when Assyria comes. Right, The dominant superpower of this time is going to come to Israel. The capital of Israel is Samaria, and it's going to take over Israel. It's going to take out the king, and it's going to take their idols into captivity. And that's what they're talking about, is, is the people and the priests are trembling in verse 5, because the idols, the golden calves that they were worshipping, remember, because they didn't want to go to Jerusalem to worship, but instead they built, they built these, these false gods in, in uh, the northern kingdom so that they wouldn't go to Jerusalem. And these idols that they were holding on to would be taken into exile, into Assyria, along with them and along with their king. So bad as that judgment is, is that they are going to want their life to come to an end. That's verse 8. When they say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. That is a death wish that they're hoping for because the, the, the suffering and the judgment is so terrible because of their rebellion against God. It goes on explaining their uh, Israel still not changing and still wanting to find their, their uh, ultimate hope and their ultimate satisfaction in other things other than the Lord. It reads on in verse 9, it says this, From the days of Gilbeah, you have sinned, O Israel. They have continued. There you, they have continued. Shall not the war against the unjust overtake them in uh, Gibeah? When I please, I will discipline them, and nations shall be gathered against them when they are bound up for their double iniquity. Ephraim was like a trained calf that loved the thresh, and I spared her fair neck. But I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow. Jacob must harrow for himself. Right? Speaking of this, this discipline that they're going to experience because they are like the days of Gilbeah. Right? And I referenced that last Sunday. Uh, if you read Judges, uh, Judges 19 and Judges chapter 20, the days of Gilbeah. Right? And he's speaking about this time where, where the people were just in this state of living in an in a place of untamed lust. Untamed lust. In Judges 10, uh, 19 and 20, there was a man who was traveling uh, to, to, uh, to, uh, through Gilbeah, and he stayed at one of the towns there with his concubines. And so when he went into the house of, of, of his host, the men of the city came there wanting to sexually assault him. Right? If you read the story, it is much like the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and with Lot. And so that's why uh, the Israelites would have connected that, that the town of Gilbeah has become like Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the host hosting that, that, that traveler didn't want to give the traveler up to these men of the city because in that, that culture, hospitality was the ultimate thing. So instead, they gave his concubine to the men and they assaulted her until she was dead in the morning. And then it gets even worse. Right? And you can read about that again in Judges 19 and Judges 20. And so what, what the Lord is saying is, just as it was in Gilbeah, that's how it is in Hosea's time. 
a time where, where, where untamed passions and lust, right, what, what was what was, was worship. And that too can challenge our dependency upon the Lord when we have untamed passions and lust for, for anything, right, that, that, uh, that takes the place of, of the Lord. Here in this case, right, right God has given us a, a good, of passions and desires, right? And they're, they're gifts from God, but sin has, has clouded it and distorted it, right? And, and he's given these, these as gifts to be used in, in, in the, the correct way. Just as, a, as someone who creates an electronic device, gives you the instructions for you to enjoy it and use it for its maximum uh, uh, enjoyment, right? But when we take that device and use it in a way that it was, wasn't meant to be created for, we can end up breaking it or even, in some cases, right, harming ourselves. And so in the case here, right, where, where God has created even this beautiful gift right, of sexual intimacy to be enjoyed and celebrated in the context of a covenant between a man and a woman, right, here in, in Gilbea, they took it and, and, and left that beautiful gift and used it to, to, to the detriment, to the destruction. And so here the people of, of Israel is living with this untamed lust. And they've left their dependency upon the Lord. They've not found their ultimate satisfaction in Christ, or in God, I should say, the God of Israel, but have lived for their passion. Again, good gifts from God, used in its proper context, but never to be God, but rather to worship God with these passions that God has given us. So the Israelites were in just a terrible place of judgment. But there is hope. And the Lord is calling his people back to himself. Let's read verse 12. He says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up the unplowed ground. It is time to seek the Lord until he comes and sends righteousness on you like the rain. Verse 13, you have plowed iniquity, you have reaped injustice, you have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. Therefore, the tumult of war shall arise among your people and your fortresses shall be destroyed. A shaman destroyed, Bethavel on the day of battle. Mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. He's talking about Assyria coming. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because you because of your great evil, at dawn the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. Again, it ends again with, with this judgment that is coming. But, but, but wedged within these judgments is this call to return to the Lord in verse 13. So let's, let's just stay in verse 13 for, little, 13 for a little while and be encouraged by this call of God to return to him. In verse 13, God is calling his people right to to plow, right? If we look back at verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 12, verse 12, sow for yourselves righteousness. Sow righteousness for yourselves and reap faithful love. For us as followers of Jesus, a way that we can grow in our dependency upon him is to sow righteousness. In other words, Right? Think about this. What is righteousness ultimately? It's God's standards. And who perfectly lives God's standards? Jesus. 
Jesus is the righteousness of God. And the goal for us as followers of Jesus on this earth is to grow to become like Jesus, the righteousness of God. So to sow righteousness, I see it as, as, as Christ followers, is to pursue Christ-likeness. We grow in dependency upon God as we pursue Christ-likeness, to, to, to grow to become more like Jesus. The Christian life is a life of learning to grow more and more by His grace. Notice that Hosea uses the word soul. Right? This, is, this is a gardening term. It's a term of effort. Right? We're to put effort and energy into growing to become more like Christ. It's, it's not going to be a sit back and relax and, and watch things just grow on its own. It's going to take, by God's grace, our effort. It's going to take and involve breaking up that unplowed ground. Right? See there in verse 12, Hosea is telling the people to, to break up your unplowed ground. Right? Get ready to plant those seeds. Get ready to see change and growth. But what needs to happen is the effort that comes with breaking up that ground. Because if we don't make the effort, we're going to miss out on the change, the good change that God wants to bring to us as individuals and to us even as a congregation. A.W. Tozer, you know, he, people call him the John Piper of his generation. He writes this powerful devotional on Hosea 10 called Miracles That Follow the Plow. And he, he, he writes about two different Christians, one that's willing to let God and willing to plow that, that, that hard ground, and the Christian that's not, that just doesn't want to change and doesn't want their life to be touched. A.W. Tozer writes about the, the one who doesn't want change, and he says this, the man of, of follow life, unplowed ground, is contented with himself and the fruit he once bore. He does not want to be disturbed. The spirit of adventure is dead within him. He is steady, he's quote-unquote faithful, always in his accustomed place, like the old field, conservative, and something of a landmark in the little church, but he's fruitless. The curse of such a life is that it's fixed, both in size and in content. To be has taken the place of to become. They start thinking about change. They stop that. They just are happy with where they are. The worst that can be said of such a man is that he is what he will be. He has fenced himself in by the same that he has fenced out God and the miracle. Right? We lose sight of God's goal to make us become more like Christ when we choose comfort over all other things. We miss out on the good changes that God wants to bring to our lives when we don't want the soils of our life disturbed, when we want to be just that unplowed ground that wants everything to stay the same. The thing with that is we miss out on the adventures and the joys of walking in faith and watching God do amazing things. But it's going to take work. This, uh, this summer, um, our family uh, has been growing uh, some lettuce. And so we had this unused soil that was left for months. And it was just hard and gross. The soil was really compacted, so the roots would have a hard time growing. And so we had to, had to do the dirty, hard work 
of softening up that soil. So we, we took that, that hard soil and we put it through a filter and just kind of filtered out all that junk. We were sweating. It was hot. We grabbed different, you know, different kind of, of plant food and we was mixing it into the soil. We are adding different ingredients to the soil just to get it ready. We are sweating again. It was hard work. But then we planted those seeds. And then about a week later, we started seeing little little lettuce sprouts popping up, and we got excited. I tell my daughter, go outside, take a look at the new lettuce that's popping up. That lettuce, that new growth, could not happen if we just left the soil there untouched. It had to be, had to be roughed up. It had to undergo change. But the joy that came with experiencing that change, experiencing that new growth, was so worth the hard effort. See, as followers of Jesus, he's continuing to break up the hard soils in our lives, the parts of us that are sinful and not dependent upon God, to break those things up. He's calling us to break these things up, the parts of us that are stubborn and don't want change for change's sake, or change uh, for growth's sake. Right? Maybe we are like the dry soil that's just producing nothing but weeds. And God is calling us to trust him Trust Him and trust the growth that He wants to bring to us, to embrace it, to work hard by His grace. Maybe God's individuals, right? God is growing us to trust Him. He's leading us to make really hard decisions that require us to put our dependence upon Him, but we know that it is good. Let us trust Him. Maybe we've been finding that, you know, like in day-to-day decisions, we've been making decisions based upon what is comfortable and what is convenient. And we know it, but that's not what God wants for us, right? And we're like, okay, we're just intimidated about the work or the cost that it's going to bring, right? May God give us the grace to step into. Maybe there are certain relationships right, that we know are not healthy, that are not good, that are sinful, and God is calling us to, to change something in it. But we're afraid because we don't want to lose what we have. But yet those are the very things that are choking our fruitfulness. Maybe there are certain sinful characteristics that we haven't addressed. We've left it like, a, like, like, like the soil that's untouched. Right? We've not addressed our pride or our unrighteous anger or our bitterness or unforgiveness. And God is, is really leading us to confess that to Him, to confess that to others, to actually put effort into changing by God's grace, but we're, we're just intimidated about what that's even going to look like. In Hosea, God is speaking also to a group of people, not just an individual. Right? And God, too, desires for us, even as a congregation, right, to grow in Christ's likeness, to not live with the goal of just being most comfortable or convenient, but to pursue what best as a, as a congregation can grow us in Christ's likeness. And so let us be excited right, and, and, and hopeful that God is a God who wants to lead us, right, to grow in Christ-likeness, to become more like Jesus, and to be open to His leadings. Let's break up that fallow ground together and sow righteousness. Second, we grow in righteousness as we seek the Lord. Right, that's what Hosea says in verse 12. He says, For it is time to seek the Lord. Right, the opportunity to do it is now. The opportunity to break up that, that unplowed ground is right now. Here's the season to do it. The opportunity to seek the Lord, it is 
right now. Right? Because God doesn't want us to just change for change's sake. Right? This, is, this is growing to be more like Christ. This is relationship. This is growing to be closer to Him. We grow in our dependency upon Him as we seek Him as the Savior and the lover of our soul to enjoy Him, to worship Him, to be more dependent upon Him. So I want to encourage us right, to grow in dependence by, by t- making a, a, an effort by God's grace to seek Him through His Word, to seek Him through times of prayer, to seek Him through times of fellowship with other believers, to seek Him in times of solitude, getting alone with the Lord, spending time with Him, growing in that intimacy with Him, enjoying the steadfast love of God that He says is available to us, that we may then give it, share that steadfast love with others. Finally, as we bring it to a close, we grow in dependence as, as we grow, as we, right, it begins actually with receiving His righteousness. Receiving His righteousness. Hosea writes in verse 12, For it is time to seek the Lord, that He may come and rain righteousness upon you. We don't live in, right, uh, most of us, right, we, we don't, we're not farmers for a living. Uh, we don't make, you know, do farm work as a living. But in this agrarian society, right, they were so dependent on their farm work. Right? We get so much of our food uh, shipped from outside of our islands. Right? We're dependent upon the outside. But for them, they're dependent upon their crops. If they don't receive rain, they don't receive crops. If they don't receive crops, they don't receive food, they have a famine, they die. But they cannot control the rain. They can't make it rain whenever they want. They don't have a hose to turn on the water that they get, that they get from the Board of Water Supply. Right? They, they, they either got a well, they got some source of water, or they got rain. That's it. They're dependent upon the rain. Nothing they could do could cause it to come. In the same way, we are dependent upon God for, on, for His righteousness. There's no amount of seeking we can do. There's no amount of... of of uh, work that we can do that can earn us the righteousness of Christ. Just like the farmer received the rain gladly because it was watering their crops, all we can do is receive the righteousness of Christ. His death on the cross for our sins, His resurrection from the dead for a new life, receiving it as a gift, just like that rain. So that through faith in Jesus, we are declared righteous before God. That's where it begins and that's where it continues. It's always the righteousness of Christ through faith alone in Him. And it's from that righteousness that we pursue Christ-likeness. And we're going to remind ourselves and celebrate that in a little while as we take communion. That we as, a, as individuals and we as a church would, would trust in the Lord, would, would look to God to supply our every need as we have seen that He has fully supplied our greatest need, which is forgiveness and reconciliation. We can trust Him that He will help us and walk us through any other need that we have as individuals, any need that we have as a group. Let's pray as we grow in our dependence on the Lord. Father, we thank You that You are a God of grace. You are a God who is a good Father, who takes us by the hand and walks us to the seasons of life. And, and we want to pursue, Lord, what you want for us. We, we don't want to be like the unplowed ground that just 
values uh, um, uh, comfort above all else. But we want to be those who are your disciples. Pursuing to be more like you. Picking up our cross, denying ourselves, and following you daily by your grace. And we can't do it alone. It has to be by the power of the Spirit. And so we pray you'd continue, Lord, to um, open the eyes, Lord, of our hearts that we would to see how great and awesome and worthy you are to be trusted in in all aspects of our lives. We don't have to be afraid because you are with us and you're good. And so we celebrate and we worship you as we, we, we take communion, as we respond now to the gospel through worship. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. We have our communion elements on the back table.